welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that helps you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. You've got this. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss for physicians. I am not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace a need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing. Welcome to episode 74 of the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Key. Thank you so much for joining me. All right, today I am going to teach you how to manage hunger. I'm going to teach you how to understand where your hunger is coming from and how to keep it in check so it doesn't derail your efforts at weight loss. So if you're somebody who feels like you are always hungry and you have difficult time shutting that down, this is an episode for you. But first, have you checked out my free online course, Time-Saving Tips to End Binge and Stress Eating? If you struggle with not knowing why you're eating, then this online course is a really good option for you. It is packed with easy tips that you can apply to your life without adding more things into your to-do list. To access this free course, head on over to weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash time-saving tips, and that's all one word, or you can text the word time-saving tips, again, all one word, to 1-855-969-5300, which is a great choice if you don't have the time to pull out your phone and look up a website. You can just text to that number and the course will get emailed to your inbox. All right, so let's talk about hunger. I personally find hunger to be kind of a fascinating thing because I think it's really complex. We think of it as really simple as, am I hungry or not? But there are so many different things that go into what we experience as hunger that it's quite remarkable. And I'm not going to be able to cover everything. The pathophysiology of hunger, the like the physiological basis of hunger and what happens that makes us hungry, makes us satisfied is really quite complex. Honestly, when studying for my obesity medicine board exam, the hunger and the physiological pathways regards to it was some of the most complex um, things that we learned and were tested on. And I don't think we need to go into that level of detail for you to understand what's going on with your own hunger. Um, But just knowing that there are a lot of complex pathways um, can help you understand when it seems like some of this hunger stuff is outside of your control. Now, I've had a lot of different experiences with hunger. Um, Through a lot of my early parts of my weight journey, I felt that hunger was something outside of me. I felt like I couldn't influence it. I felt like some elements of my personal hunger did not seem normal or were not the same way that other people experienced it. Um, I had quite a exaggerated response when I'd feel hungry in that I needed to get food. It, it would almost incite like a panic feeling in me that I needed to access food. And some of that for me was related to just the general busyness and the 
going through life just one thing after another after another. And if I felt hungry and hadn't eaten, I had this panic that I wasn't going to be able to eat, that I wouldn't have an opportunity to eat down the road. And I didn't trust myself at that point to know that my body actually would be totally fine. My experience with when I let myself get too hungry was that I had got headaches, I felt nauseated, I felt tired, I felt unwell, I'd get cranky. Um, I had all these different experiences. And what I've learned about hunger for myself is that so much of those experiences that I thought were related to hunger were actually related to the foods I was eating. So once I changed to a lower carb diet, a lot of that immediate need to eat went away. I didn't have the same hangry response if I was late eating lunch or if I missed lunch. But it, it did take quite a while for me to build the trust in myself that I could experience hunger and that I would be fine because I'd spent so many years really trying to avoid hunger on a significant level, really trying to uh, not experience it essentially. Or if I experienced it, I would try to appease it right away. And then, so switching to low carb got rid of a lot of that hunger experience for me and made me really think, wow, like a lot of what I thought was internally an issue with me, that I thought was a weakness of my own, that I thought was something I was doing wrong, actually turned out to be how my body was responding to the food I was putting in it. And when I changed the food I was putting into my body, my body's experience with hunger really changed significantly. And so if you're sitting here at the beginning of that journey and you haven't tried eating lower carb, meaning minimizing processed foods, processed starches and sugars, then I'd encourage you to try it because I think there's a lot to do with hunger that gets better when you get all that stuff out of your diet. And we'll talk more about that. But then what I was left with is still some of those learned responses to hunger. So it still took me quite a while to learn to trust my body and learn that I would be okay if I experienced some hunger and chose not to eat. And it wasn't until I really did some work around that that I was able to successfully do longer fasts. Earlier on when I tried fasting, just missing breakfast, fasting to lunch, I ended up overeating or eating, you know, foods I hadn't planned in the afternoon because of what that hunger in the morning had meant to me. I, I made that mean a lot about what I was missing out on and why I wasn't eating that then led me to eat more when I did finally eat. And so it took a lot of practice of how I was regarding my hunger so that I could go through a fast and be okay on the other side, not feel a need to overeat or to eat off plan to compensate for the food I didn't eat while I was fasting. And for me, that was a really important change and a real game changer that then allows me to use intermittent fasting when I want successfully versus before when I used to try intermittent fasting, it was fairly unsuccessful. It was a, a tool that would end up triggering me to eat off plan. And Again, it wasn't intermittent fasting being the problem. It was how I was thinking about food while I was attempting to do it. 
Okay, so let's talk about what hunger is. And the Oxford Dictionary is that hunger is a feeling of discomfort or weakness caused by a lack of food coupled with the desire to eat. And I really liked this definition because I think it tells us quite a few things. Number one, I think, you know, we experience different situations as hunger. So the piece in this definition about caused by a lack of food is a piece that I think has kind of a question mark beside it for a lot of us in a lot of different uh, experiences. So we may have a feeling of discomfort or weakness coupled with the desire to eat, but that isn't uh, associated with the lack of food, but that we still perceive as hunger and we still end up eating. And so that would be like an emotional eating where we have some form of discomfort or something that we need to remedy and our brain comes up with the answer as being food. Our brain offers food as the solution to whatever the discomfort is. And so that would be when you find yourself eating, even though you didn't physically feel hungry and you're not really sure why. So emotional eating is really any eating when you're eating without having physical hunger. I would think of physical hunger, so feeling of discomfort, meaning the physical discomfort, the growling stomach, the um, kind of sense of emptiness when you have that physical hunger. But we can feel hungry, and I'm saying that with kind of air quotes, without actually having those physical sensations, but that hunger probably isn't caused by a lack of food. And a really big skill when we're working on long-term weight loss is learning to figure out which of the hungers are true lack of food, where food is the right solution to that discomfort, and which of the hungers are not about a lack of food when they're about something else where food actually can't fix that situation. Because here's the problem with the emotional eating is our brain offers the food as a solution for a variety of discomforts. And yet the food has no ability to fix those discomforts. It offers very momentary relief. It offers brief, like when I talk to clients and patients about how long do they get relief when they do eat something uh, for emotional eating. And it's minutes, sometimes not even minutes. Sometimes you're not even finished the food. And that sense of relief is already gone. And that's where we can end up then eating more because you're just trying to get that sense of relief because that first bit of food didn't do it. But really the problem is, is that it's a thought error that your brain thinks that food has the ability to relieve the discomfort when it never actually did. The only discomfort that food can relieve is the physical discomfort of feeling truly physically hungry. It can't relieve any of the other discomforts that we try to relieve with it. So let's think about the biological background or evolutionary background of hunger. Why is it there? Why do we feel physical symptoms when we are hungry? And it really comes back to us needing to know that we need to be looking for food. So back in the day, back before modern food supply, if we were starting to feel hungry, we really needed to start to look for food and really put some effort in. And I think that's why we often have that feeling of 
urgency or panic when we experience hunger because on an evolutionary standpoint, when it used to take us time to get our food, we would need that warning. And if it had gotten to the point where we're actually feeling hungry, we still had to exert energy and time to find food to satiate that hunger. So it made sense that that hunger would be a powerful stimulus and that we would respond to it with a sense of urgency where we had to take action in order to survive. Now, flash forward and what's changed? We still have the same experience. We still have the same hunger. We still have the same uh, urgency response to that hunger. But what's changed is getting food no longer takes time nor energy, for most of us anyways. For the vast majority of us, we can access food to satiate that hunger within minutes of feeling it. And accessing that food does not require us to exert much energy at all. For example, I'm recording this podcast at home on uh, social distancing type isolation. And if I were to experience hunger, I would take me a few steps to get upstairs, uh, a minimal amount of energy to open the fridge, and I would have access to a whole host of food to satisfy it. That's very different from what we were dealing with from an evolutionary standpoint. And I think it's important to recognize that the part of our brain that gives us those urges to eat, that gives us that urgency to the hunger is the part of our brain that doesn't recognize how our environment has changed. It's just the survival part of our brain. And so it makes sense that that's how we experience that physical hunger. It makes sense that we have that urgency that we need to respond to it. But we can then use the higher parts of our brain, like our prefrontal cortex, to decide, does that actually make sense for the situation? And for most of us, especially in North America, most of us, there isn't urgency to food really almost any time. Very few of us have a situation where we can't access food to satiate that hunger. Now, let's talk about kind of a summary of the different categories that can feel like hunger and that can increase our drive for food and how you might be able to manage them. So if you feel that you're always hungry, you're always struggling with your hunger, these would be the areas to look at and decide which ones of these are having influence in your life. So the first one is biological. Like I said, our brains and hormonal systems are complex in how they manage hunger and satiety. So there are hunger hormones, there are hormones that are related to satiety, there are pathways in our brain that manage our hunger and satiety. And all of these are quite complex. We as a medical field are understanding more about them. There's a lot of elements that we don't fully understand. And these different pathways are targets for some of the medications that we use for treating obesity. Um, and other pathways have been targeted like leptin as potential sources of a medication, but they don't pan out because they're far more complex than what we can just see on the surface. Again, we don't know the whole story for all of these. But when we look from a biological standpoint, some foods drive hunger more from a biological standpoint. And that would be your foods that are the higher carbohydrate, more processed, more sugar-filled foods will drive hunger more. 
And the way I like to think about this is that it's related to your blood sugars peaking and coming down. And as your blood sugar starts to come down, you start to feel hungry because your body needs to get more sugar in the bloodstream to use as fuel. Because if you remember, if you're eating sugar and processed foods and other carbohydrates on a regular basis, you're predominantly sugar burning in your metabolism. So you don't have the easy ability to tap into fat stores and you need that blood sugar around or else you feel really crummy. And that's where the hangriness comes in. When our blood sugar starts to go low and we're hungry, that's when we start to get headachey, nauseated, cranky, tired, all that stuff. So if we're eating uh, you know, traditional North American diet, which is fairly high carbohydrate, high in processed foods, high in sugar, that diet in its own drives hunger. And that hunger will feel like physical hunger. You will experience the growling stomach, all of the physical symptoms that come with hunger because of the food that's going into your system And because of what your metabolism is doing, i.e. which fuels it is burning as a first choice. So on the flip side of that, you can manage a lot of the physical hunger by what you eat. And if you talk to almost anybody who's eaten a lower carb diet of some sort, when you switch to a lower carb diet, first couple days you might actually feel like more cravings, maybe some more hunger. But very quickly that settles down. And so usually with a lower carbohydrate approach to eating, your hunger levels are a lot lower. You don't get hungry as easily. You don't get hungry as frequently. And when you get hungry, it doesn't feel as intense. I remember I before I was eating low carb, when I'd go on a run in the morning and I would eat before going on runs back then, And all of a sudden, I would get hungry to the point of feeling like I was going to puke. Like it would just hit me like somebody punched me in my gut. And it felt so uncomfortable. I would bring food so that if I had that, I have something else to eat to manage it. But it's a totally different ballgame now. I run fasted. I can run a very long time without feeling hungry or needing to eat anything and without it affecting um, my performance or how the run feels. And all of that was from being more consistent with my lower carb approach to eating and letting my body get fat adapted. Because here's the difference is when you're consistently eating lower carb, your body builds the machinery to burn fat as fuel, and it can more easily use fat as your main source of fuel. So you're not dependent on the blood sugar being around, um, you're, if you start to run out of sugar as your fuel, then your body just shifts over and uses fat. And what people experience when they get fat adapted is they experience that just levelness of appetite. The feeling that you're not getting super hungry. You don't, you know, really care if meals are a little bit late. You, you can take food or leave it. Um, And that is a really interesting place to be. Like I mentioned at the beginning, that's something that really surprised me back when I went lower carb is that a lot of that urgency I had to eat just kind of dissipated. My brain didn't focus on food in the same way. And what I think that was is removing that biological need to constantly have more of the sugar producing fuel coming into my system. 
My body had built the machinery so that I could use the fat fuel that I always have on me. (laughs) And uh, it didn't feel the need to always be putting more stuff into the system. And that took a little bit of time to trust that that was true and that it would stay that way and that I'd be okay if I didn't always eat. Uh, But it's truly been life transforming, that experience of the change in my hunger um, from when I was eating a standard North American diet or even a low-fat diet. So the second place that we can experience hunger from is more about desire for food. So the desire for food is related to our brain being interested in food and being constantly cued about food. So if you think about our day-to-day life, think about an average day, maybe when you're actually leaving the house, because right now you may experience fewer food cues just because you're home, or maybe you actually experience more food cues being home than when you're driving to work and out and about. But so if you think about an average day, about how many different food cues you can encounter in that day, um, I remember I started paying attention to this and just, you know, in the morning, just before I even got to work, the number of like radio commercials, the number of uh, fast food signs or billboards I passed, the food smells that I would even smell while I was driving, all of those things amp up your brain's desire for food. Now, the other place that we get a lot of food cues is from online. And I found this for myself when I was eating lower carb, I got really excited about all the different lower carb recipes I could make and all the different, you know, remaking old favorites. And I'd spend a lot of time searching for recipes online and scrolling and looking at Pinterest and all these things. But what that actually did was it amped up my brain's desire for food. So essentially, all of my free time, I was spending looking at food and looking at delicious food pictures. And then my brain just wanted to eat more food. And so it would start giving me more food cues, regardless of whether it was low carb or not. And I was far more likely to overeat, even again, if it was low carb that I was overeating, it was still eating beyond the being hungry because my brain had such a desire for food. I think the other place that this desire for food shows up is with our thoughts about food. And particularly if you think about certain foods. So a lot of people like warm bread would be one or, you know, baked goods would be another. I know I'm hearing from lots of people that there's a lot more baking going on in the houses or around because people are home more and that's causing more desire for food. And so if you think about how we think about these foods, the warm bread really isn't that exciting of a food. If you were to just look at it, say an alien came to our our world and sat down in front of a plate of bread versus maybe a plate of colorful vegetables. I would bet that the alien might not understand that appeal of that bread because the the appeal of the bread has come to us from years of conditioning. It's come to us through what we make that bread mean. And particularly if you're eating lower carb and you're spending all your time thinking about how you're missing out on bread and how you wish you could have that warm bread, 
again, that's amping up your brain's desire for that food. And it might come out as cravings for bread that you then have to deal with, or at some point you end up eating the bread, or it just may come out as an overall increased desire for food, where you end up eating more food and overeating your lower carb options because your brain is just so primed from thinking about it. So recognizing that a reducing your food cues can be very helpful. So watching where you're getting cued on food. So TV is classic, uh, like the percent of food ads versus other ads is really high when you watch TV. And guess what? They're not generally vegetable ads. <laughs> the other place would be when you're online. And if you're looking for recipes, sometimes that can actually be driving uh, food desire and making it harder for you to eat according to your true physical hunger and according to your plan. And then the other piece is looking at foods that we amp up the desire for based on how we think about them. And so I used the bread example, but you could use it for almost anything. And really, almost any of those foods that each of us have as our like highly desirable food that we have thoughts about, it's hard to uh, say no to, or it's hard to avoid if it's available. Um, you could find somebody else in the world that has zero interest in that food. And the food is the same. The difference is, is our thinking versus that other person's thinking, which is great because that tells you that you actually have the power to change what hold that food has on you by changing how you think about that food. So you can decrease your desire by either not thinking about that food or changing what you think about it. Uh, choosing thoughts about that food that lower the desire level of it. That I like to think of, you know, we often put food up on a pedestal, changing your thoughts around it. So it brings that food back down to the level of like cabbage or green beans or something like that. That's, you know, far more neutral. Now, the third area that can increase our feelings and be perceived as hunger is our attempts to avoid discomfort. And we were talking about that earlier on in that that discomfort is actually part of the definition of hunger. But like I said, not all discomfort is actually fixable by food. So a lot of discomfort that we have, our brain wants to use food as the solution, but food never was the solution. It's just over years of programming, that primitive part of our brain that responds to the very immediate reaction feels like that dopamine we get from eating the sugary or highly processed foods means that it's relieving that discomfort. The key with this is recognizing that you're eating to avoid discomfort of some sort. And honestly, this can take some time to really tease out and to really understand because they're often knee-jerk reactions. We've done them so often in our life that it just feels like we just want food. And it takes time of really exploring your own brain and being patient and being curious about why you're eating the food for you to really understand what's driving it. What discomfort is there? And why am I reaching for food? And does the food actually fix it? So for the first steps of this, I really recommend just taking a curious approach. And when you're eating food you didn't plan on, asking yourself, like, why am I eating this food? What 
what triggered this, what was going on, what was I feeling, and how do I feel after the food? Did it work? Or is that uh, discomfort still actually present? And when we talk about uh, emotional eating, lots of people view emotional eating as a kind of classic movie version where you're sitting on the couch crying and eating a tub of ice cream. But emotional eating really is just eating anytime there's no physical hunger, eating for reasons other than the physical hunger. And so there can be a lot of different emotions that can drive emotional eating or drive this like avoiding discomfort eating. Uh, You know, the classic would be like sadness, anger, stress. But I think restlessness is a really common one that we probably under-recognize because we just, we don't label it as an emotion often and we just feel a little unsettled and we look for something to make ourselves feel more settled. Uh, Doubt is something I've talked about on the podcast. I think that can be a really big one where we're doubting ourselves, doubting something that we did during the day and that's uncomfortable and our brain offers food as a solution. But I really think it's important to recognize that sometimes really positive emotions can cause an element of discomfort that your brain tries to deal with. So really happy situations. Often we end up eating. A lot of people who have an element of emotional eating end up eating related to positive emotions as just as negative. Um, and so recognizing that the discomfort doesn't have to be a negative discomfort. It can be like you feel really happy and you're trying to look for a way of releasing that and the food can be your way of releasing it. So to summarize the three areas that can be giving you that kind of insatiable hunger might be biological. So it might be what your hunger hormones are doing and what the food that you're eating is doing to your hunger hormones and how you're eating is driving your hunger hormones. So often for that, changing what you're eating or even when you're eating, so eating more consistently. I like eating earlier in the day with more protein and fat to settle hunger down um, can be a solution. Number two is amped up desire for food. So recognizing and learning what cues you're getting from your environment that are constantly driving your brain towards food. And recognizing what your own internal thoughts are doing that might be constantly driving your brain towards food and working on changing those. And then number three is the avoiding discomfort type of hunger. And so this would be under the category of emotional eating. And like I said, for this one, what I'd suggest is taking an approach of curiosity and just trying to learn about your brain and find it interesting and fascinating that your brain does things the way that it does and learn about what your brain is trying to solve with the food. Because if we only focus on the food in this situation, it's never going to be a lasting solution because your brain will still need to solve the original problem. The food is not the actual problem. The food is a symptom of the problem that your brain's trying to solve. Overall, as you're managing these and you're trying to work through them, I think the biggest thing is focusing on being compassionate with yourself Looking at hunger from these different pathways is different than what we've really been taught. Like a lot of us grew up thinking you're either hungry or you're not. And being compassionate so that you can actually learn and understand what your brain's going through versus if you're judging yourself, it kind of closes the doors for you to get more knowledge. And it's really through understanding and 
understanding this on a deeper level of knowledge within your own brain, that you're going to find the lasting solutions to managing your own hunger and being able to sustain it long term. All right, send me your emails. Let me know what your thoughts are, what areas of hunger trip you up and what you're doing about it. In the email address is info at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. I love getting email from listeners and to hear how you guys are taking what I talk about on the podcast and applying it to your own lives. That's fantastic. If you really struggle with not understanding why you're eating when you're eating and you just don't know how to get control of it, then coaching is the most efficient way for you to figure that out. I've got years of experience of helping people with weight and understanding how our minds work around eating and weight that I can help you hone in on what your underlying issues are where we can fix it without the relying on willpower that traditional diets ask for. If this sounds like a better solution for you, then make sure you head over to weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca, click on the work with me tab and book a free introductory session. It's an opportunity for you and I to talk one-on-one privately about what's going on in your life and how I can help you find solutions for it. All right. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We will talk to you later. Have a fantastic week. Bye-bye.